Welcome to Metaphysical Soul Speak, the podcast. I'm your host, Elena Fox. Hey guys, I hope you're doing really well in this moment in time. And that whenever and wherever you happen to be, no matter what ray you came down on, whatever colored light you beamed your beautiful bright soul to earth down on, I hope that you are accepting of all the parts of yourself, including that part of you who has suffered at one time or another, the crisis of faith. Now you may or may not be religious. That's not what I'm talking about necessarily. Um, everybody goes through a crisis of faith and I was talking to a friend of mine over the weekend and he's having a crisis of faith. He said, you know, this man that I am starting to fall for that I really care about is, uh, HIV positive. He just found out he's been talking to this guy for weeks, starting to fall for him. And he said, Oh, I forgot to ask his status. So he asked and the guy told him, well, when I was 16 years old, I had sex for the very first time and caught HIV at the age of 16. So my friend is having a crisis of faith and it's been going on for many, many days. And he told me today, he doesn't really know if God exists. Because how could a God allow a beautiful, young, bright future boy of 16 to come down with a disease for making love to somebody he cared about? Now, this is a kind of crisis of faith that's been in the LGBTQIA community for a very long time. I mean, as long as I can remember is maybe when I was in my teen years is when we first heard about AIDS and HIV and there's drugs now apparently that can help you not only, um, not lose your T cells, but also gain them back. And the virus becomes eventually undetectable in your blood but they're very expensive drugs. And my friend was talking about this. He was saying, what if this guy who lives in South America, what if he falls in love with me and wants to move here? And I said, well, be careful with that because he has a pre-existing condition and he might not be able to get the drugs and they're very expensive. 
he, you know, he won't be able to get insurance. Right. So we were talking about it and my friend just said, you know what? I don't think I believe in God. And I've been thinking about this, um, for a couple of days now. And I, I told him, look, you can question the existence of God all you want. We all go through that. And I'm not going to judge you for it. You know, I still love you. You're my friend, but you have to understand that we do not spiritually grow unless we go through pain and suffering. Even Jessica of good vibrations. Uh, she said that today on her YouTube channel. She said, you know, we all in, in various ways, in various, uh, uh, I don't know, ways of, of living, you know, of life, you know, like people die, people break up, they break our hearts, they cheat on us, they betray us. Um, you know, we get fired. I mean, all kinds of pain exists in this world, right? And we don't spiritually grow unless we see the opposite of who we are being hurt, being betrayed, going through physical pain and suffering, feeling the loss of love, feeling all of these things that we deem to be extremely dark and negative, having violence perpetrated against us. It all sucks, but if you allow it to, it will help you to spiritually grow. And I was telling my friend this, and he already knows this, but he's having this crisis of faith that is coming from an emotional unhealed place for, you know, he's being very emotional, but he's also, he's not healed emotionally or mentally. He's recently suffered a blow in his life. Um, you know, not that, but something different and he's not healed from it yet. And he wants to try to rescue this person but the reality is when you want to rescue somebody, it's because you really want somebody to rescue you. You want to feel like a safe little baby in somebody's arms. Again, you want, you know, like remember when you're a toddler, if you hurt your knee and your, your mother or father or somebody who cared for you came and scooped you up and held you tight against their chest and kissed your head and, and kissed your boo-boo and gave you a little bit of a, a like a band-aid and cared for you and said, it's okay. Everything's going to be all right. We all want that. And if you did not have that in your, in your life growing up, I'm very sorry that, um, you are a badass spiritual warrior. Actually, if that's what you chose, because that's the other part of the coin. Okay. That's the other half of the coin. So you could look at the tails side of the coin and go, well, this just blows. <laughs> this is like the worst, um, life and your life sucks. And I feel sorry for you. And I want to rescue you and you suck. <laughs> you're fine, but your circumstances, blah. But the thing is, um, you're only looking at half of the picture. And when you look at the other side of the coin and you see it from a higher loftier perspective of spirit, you realize that this person came here with a bunch of karma that they wanted to get rid of. 
I think having um, AIDS for two years of your teenagehood and your entire adult life, or HIV, I'm sorry, excuse me, knock on wood, he'll never get AIDS, but this is HIV he has only, and it's undetectable because he's taking care of himself. But can you imagine, that's like if that was your situation and you decide, well, you know what, I'm going to come here and I'm going to have this terrible disease and having the disease itself and, and being afraid every single day for my life that's going to be suffering that maybe I inflicted on someone else in a past life, or maybe it's going to be a way for me to burn off some, um, extraneous karma from another time. You know, maybe I didn't do this to somebody, but maybe, Hey, I wasn't all that great in another life, or maybe I just want to burn off karma. Right? So you could, you could go down the list. You know, you have like a catalog of diseases or bad experiences that you can have in your life. You're sitting in heaven. You're looking at everything going, Oh, all right. How many points is this going to get me? <laughs> How many brownie points of God do I get for that one? <laughs> because you know, Hey, if I could burn off all of my karma in this life, then I'm going to be golden. I'm going to feel much better. I can feel more complete, you know, for, for myself, I didn't get past the first category. I'm looking down the list going, I'll take arthritis and, and asthma and, um, allergies. There we go. That's a good one. Those are three things I can suffer from all from the A list. (laughs) I mean, I picked a couple smatterings from the B list. I mean, I got bronchitis. You know, it's just, this is a couple things I picked from the rest of the catalog, but Hey, okay. Let's just do a, you know, let's just go the a list, you know, for me, nothing but the a list for me, <laughs> you know, but everybody has their suffering, their cross to bear, as they say, you know, um, it's a Christian reference, but you don't have to be Christian to see that this is true. We all have things that we need to, uh, take. But the wrong part of this thinking is looking at someone suffering and saying, God must not exist because he allowed this. But the reality is we chose all of the suffering we were going to suffer before we got here. And some of us were like, oh my God, I am a brave ass warrior and I'm going to take this one and that one and that one over there. And oh my God, I'm going to suffer from you know, the love of my life is going to die of brain cancer and he's going to kick me out and divorce me and, and, and tell everybody in his family and everybody in the town against, you know, to turn against me. And I'm going to feel completely ostracized and ousted when I did not deserve that. It's going to be the biggest betrayal ever. It's another thing I picked from the B column. (laughs) and at the time you're going through it you're like that rap bastard I hate him oh my god you know (laughs) and then you realize he picked from the C column which was cancer shit yeah he played that cancer card damn it (laughs) and that was his way out everybody has a way out everybody you know you sit down and go well what 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 are the bad things I'm going to go through what's the the karma that's going to burn off And also, and then what's my way out? Where's my ticket out? Do I have an A ticket or an E ticket? 
I would say the A ticket, that's easy. You know, you just die in your sleep. You know, E ticket, that's when you die in an adventure. You know, I was flying my plane and I and I crashed into the ocean. Woo! E ticket, baby. You're gonna win the contest of uh, how you died when you get to heaven and you say, "Hey, how'd you die? Let's have a campfire and swap death stories and laugh about it because we're never gonna die and we didn't really die." That's how I think it is. It's, it's really, truly how I want it to be. And I think that's how it is. You know, it's like we all have a story at the end, you know. You know, hey, uh, how did you... <laughs> hey, Abel, how did you die? My brother Cain killed me. Oh, man. What a bastard. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or maybe it's Cain killed Abel. Abel killed Cain. I don't know. Either way, it sucks. It sucks. You know, how'd you die? I died in my sleep. Get out of here, man. Get out of here. You don't need to sit at our camp. That's not even interesting. You died in your sleep, you lucky shit. <laughs> how does he rate he died in his sleep? I mean, seriously, I think this is how it is, you know? Lucky bastard. <laughs> I just imagine like a bunch of people sitting around a fire and this is how it is, you know? Swapping the horror stories. And how people died and or how they died and roasting marshmallows they'll always taste perfect they'll always roast perfect you know because it's heaven <laughs> and you have the and you have the fancy uh, wire skewers you're not it's not a branch that you took from a tree it's an actual perfect maybe your skewer is you know gold on the end where you're holding it because it's just so damn cool it's heaven you can have whatever you want Mine would be encrusted with diamonds and emeralds just because, hey, it's heaven. I can make whatever I want. <laughs> but I feel like a lot of people get so caught up in the, why is there so much suffering in the world? Oh my God. And I've talked about this before, but I just, I, I want to reiterate some of my thoughts on it. Um, I had some new thoughts today, I guess, about it. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Is God that much of a fucking bastard that he's going to uh, just put you in a position to suffer because he can? Is God really that much of a jerk? Or does God just not exist? Right? A lot of people go through this. It's a crisis of faith. But this is why I say God is all... Knowing all loving, he's 100% made from love. He would never put you in a position to do this. But you would, and you did. If you're suffering from anything, it's because you chose it. You chose it. Now, there's some of some of the suffering we go through, we don't need to choose it. <laughs> you know, like my mom did not need to drink several glasses of milk every single day of her life and eat a lot of candy and give herself diabetes. She could have just as easily chosen to drink uh, lemon water and eat vegetables for snacks. You know, she didn't have to eat ice cream every night. 
you know, that, those kinds of things are choices, right? You also, I mean, you have like maybe a list of diseases you might get if you fuck up your body. Having one beer a week is fine. Having one beer an hour for the rest of your life, not so much. Rest of your life isn't going to be very long. And some people actually consciously choose, you know, to smoke themselves to death, drink themselves to death. Sometimes they do it out of um, guilt. If they're extremely successful in life, a lot of very successful people feel guilty because other people are not successful. They feel guilty because they have money and other people don't or their parents don't and they do and they feel really guilty about it. So they buy things for their parents and they drink and they slowly kill themselves because they feel like shit about themselves. And a lot of people feel like, you know, it doesn't matter how successful you are. You're still going to be a bastard in the eyes of your own parents. Like maybe your parents were assholes to you and they were abusive and they didn't do right by you. And, and they, uh, told you you're a piece of shit. You're never going to amount to anything, right? Um, that didn't happen to me, but I have met people that that did happen to. And then they became very success, successful, wealthy in spite of their parents, but always felt a little bit guilty about that superseding their parents. Especially if their parents ever said, what are you too good for us? You know, my parents, my stepmom did that to me. What do you think you're too good for us? You can't have a third helping of food. And I'm looking at her who she, who is 200 pounds overweight. I'm sorry. No, I'm not too good for you, but I'm, I'm choosing what's good for me. You know, like, God, I don't need to be fat like you, dude. Just not fucking hungry. (laughs) Not the way that you are, you know? That's why I never had an appetite my whole life. And my whole childhood, I was always um, yelled at for not eating like a pig, like my parents did. You know, it's like, sorry, I still don't. I mean, yesterday I barely ate anything and I was fine all day. It's like, I, I wake up in the morning a little bit hungry, like, oh, wait, not really hungry, but like, huh, I should have eaten a little bit more yesterday. I gotta keep a mind to do that. I said, I'm not trying to be unhealthy. I just don't. I just don't think about it because I, I don't get hungry. It's weird. I've even gone to acupuncturists and they're like, that's weird. Why don't you have an appetite? And I've had an appetite maybe five or six times in my whole life. I've had like a voracious appetite and I ate a lot. And I'm like, oh, I feel great, man. This is awesome. But I don't always have an appetite. But I got in trouble for that when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just like a weird genetic, you know, it's like a genetic thing, I guess. Maybe my dad doesn't have much of an appetite. He doesn't eat a lot. My mom ate like all the time because she wanted to. It was a comforting thing for her. And she was pretty overweight too, you know. My birth mom, my adopted mom, and my stepmom, she was the biggest of the three. But they were all, um, they all gained, but my adopted mom and my birth mom both had diabetes. Because they ain't very good, you know. It's like, so there's like things like that. Yet, like you could pick things that are going to kill you if you choose the wrong way. And, but also you can pick nothing, none of the above. Like, um, Oh God, what's his name? Uh, George Burns. God bless him. And God rest his soul. He was such an amazing actor. Well, he smoked cigars until he was like 106. I think every day he had cigars, like one or two cigars. And so in every movie, he always had a cigar in his hand. 
And people are like, you're going to die from that. He's like, I don't believe that. Why, why do you, you know, and and he, he did not die of any complications due to smoking cigars, you know, because that's not what he picked. That's not how he picked to die. I can't remember how he died, but it wasn't that. Things like pneumonia or something that hadn't, you know, maybe it wasn't even that. I don't even remember, honestly. I maybe had something to do with that, but it wasn't like a direct, like lung cancer, obvious. It wasn't an obvious thing. You know, and some people, um, pick ironic ways to die. Um, Winston tires, a guy who had Winston tires, I think his name was Winston actually. And he died when his own tire blew out and he and his wife died in a car crash. And their, you know, their thing, um, their logo, not logo, but their uh, catchphrase for the company was a lot is riding on your tires. As soon as I heard that, I'm like, fuck yeah, it is. I'm not going to ever buy another Winston tire as long as I live. They proved that to me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, their advertisement used to have a little baby in diapers sitting on a, on a tire. So weird that that's how they died. The guy who said every part of the pine tree is edible <laughs> and he ate like two and a half pine trees and he died of stomach cancer. Well, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> Just cause it's edible. Doesn't mean you need to be eating it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ironic deaths, but I think we pick, we pick all of our suffering. We pick all of our pain in advance, you know, and sometimes though, when we're here, we make stupid choices based on not having enough information or having faulty information or having false emotional crap. And we're not going to get over it until we're over our own emotional crap. And what am I talking about there? This is another thing, you know, like my friend, you know, his, he wants to be loved just like we all do. And so there's nothing wrong with that, but he wants to be loved so badly. And I realized it's because he is coming off of a breakup in which his boyfriend cheated on him after 13 years. They've been together for a while. And I mentioned this uh, situation before, but when you are in a situation and somebody cheats on you that you've been with for a very long time, whether you're married or not, it makes you feel, or even when your marriage just ends, it doesn't even have to be a cheating situation, but even if it's, if it's cheating situations, even more so this, you feel unattractive when your when your partner leaves you, even if it's after six months, you feel unattractive and you take that in subconsciously, especially if you're an empath and you're very, very, um, sensitive, especially if you're a highly sensitive person, you start to believe that maybe you're, uh, too old or too fat or not sexy enough or not, you know, whatever enough. You're not thin enough. You're not whatever enough not smart enough, not degreed enough, whatever it is, you make this shit up in your mind. Cause it's only in your mind. You know, if someone cheats on you, it's because they're an asshole. They're a cheating, lying asshole. It's not because you are not sexy it has nothing to do with you. I mean, unless you purposely said you will never have sex with them ever again, that might, that, you know, maybe that then possibly, it has something to do with you. <laughs> you know? You're terrible in bed and I'm never going to have sex with you again. And then they go off and cheat on you. Well, you know, maybe that was your fault. You know, maybe, maybe you take responsibility for that one. Just a little bit. Because <laughs> it's unreasonable to believe that 
you know, someone should never have sex with you and never have, you can't control somebody else like that. You know, in that case, you're an asshole and you do, you know, you deserve that. (laughs) It's obvious. How'd you expect that wouldn't happen? Right. But usually when people cheat on us, it's, it's just because they're cheaters and usually they're narcissists more often than not. Sometimes they're not, but more often than not, they're narcissists. But when you're unhealed from such a hardcore hurt like that, you start to look immediately to replace that love, not to replace them specifically, but you're looking like you feel so like, I'm going to prove to you I'm attractive. I'm going to prove to myself I'm attractive. And then you go out and you try to sleep with whoever, you know, you might not give a crap if there's a spiritual connection or not. You're just trying to prove that you, you can do it right. You can kiss good. You know, like they said you weren't good as a kisser or something. So now you feel like you have to go prove your worth and your value to them who just left you. I mean, it's really sick, but it's something that happens in probably everybody to one extent or another. So you have to realize you're fine. You're good in bed for the right person. You're a good kisser for the right person. I mean, now I say that one person actually tried to kiss me. He kissed me once and I never let him kiss me again because instead of actually kissing me, he started biting my face, including my chin and my cheek in his giant fucking mouth. And he started acting like he was going to eat me like a hamburger. I I'm like, dude, I don't want a cannibal boyfriend. I want someone who knows how to fucking kiss. <laughs> he's my good friend now. And he writes me every now and again. And he's like, Oh, well, do you like me? You want to, Hey, we should get together. I'm like, no, I don't want you. You kiss me like you're eating a hamburger, dude. I'm not interested in you anymore. I'm a Virgo dude. When I lose interest, I'm never going to fucking get him back. Just don't even bother. It's just wasting your damn time. And you're making me laugh at you, honestly. And now I'm now you're a joke on my on my podcast. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I really don't give a shit. I'm I'm never gonna date you. I'm never gonna do that again. Like you turned me off once, it's never gonna come back. I lost interest, dude. Move on, cause I sure as shit did. <laughs> My friend who did that, he actually started to ask me out again. And I'm like, dude, seriously, it's been six years and six years. I've said, nope, (laughs) not since that one, like literally we had maybe five whole minutes where I was interested in him and he's interested in me. And then that happened and it was like, I'm over it. It Took five damn minutes to ruin this with me. It's over. But anyway, but we, we have pain and we have suffering and so there's a few things going on here in this situation with my friend and, and you know, one is he's just trying to find love to prove that he's worthy of love, to prove that he can have love. And I think secretly he wants to move on before his ex does. So he can be like, aha, and now I'm the winner. I'm on top and you're not bro. Whatever. Yeah. I'm the bro. You're the hoe. Uh, you cheated on me. You know, I don't know. 
I think that's, I think that's his part of his secret, like his subconscious mind, you know, but, but he's like, I don't, you know, he's, then he meets this guy who he likes and then the guy has his HIV. So he's so upset. And so I, I see that he wants to be rescued. And so he's trying to rescue this person. He's like, I will get you out of Colombia and I will send for your family and get your whole family out of there. And I'm like, you don't understand like that, that community where they live. I know several people from there and they're all telling me it's a close knit community. They have their routine, like they party there starting on Thursday and it goes on through Sunday. Everyone's nursing their hangover on Sunday. And, um, then they work Monday through Wednesday and the rest of the week is about partying and salsa dancing and having a good old time. And it's a happy community and you don't need to out of, I don't know what American guilt or ignorance of like, what is the, the way in other countries, you don't have to try to rescue somebody because you're from the quote unquote greatest country in the world. It's not all that great. When you get out of it and you live away from it for a while, you realize, wow, I mean, it's a good country, but it's not the greatest. And that's for damn sure. I mean, it's the greatest if you never ever need medicine and you never have a need to get health insurance. It's the greatest country in the world if you have a lot of money and you have a steady job or income, it could be the greatest country in the world. If, um, there's not tornadoes and cold freezes and fires where you live. I mean, there's a lot of shit that hits the fan on a regular basis every year in the United States. And there are other countries that never have weather like that. That don't have freaking hurricanes killing people or cold snaps in Texas where 4 million people uh, don't have power and a quarter of a million people die uh, because they're frozen to death in their homes. I mean, that's not all that fucking great. I'm sorry. It's just, it's really true. I love my country. Happy Memorial day to those of you who are soldiers. Semper Fi to the Marines, by the way, my dad is a Marine. God bless him. He's, he's still alive. Although I don't talk to him. I haven't talked to him in years. I lost his number and he lost mine and we have not gotten back together to find each other again. It's weird. <laughs> I think his son took his laptop and he said, screw it. I don't need a computer. So he's one of those off the grid type people. That sucks. <laughs> and eventually he'll figure it out. He knows my email, but anyway, um, so there's, there's kind of like a lot of things going on. Like my friends, like trying to rescue this guy and they say, I'm going to rescue your family. And you know, it's like, if you're a hero, then you're not going to be left. <laughs> That's another thing that we do. You know, we think, well, if we can only rescue our love, we'll make ourselves invaluable to them. And then they will love us more and never leave us. But I had to point out to him also that suffering crap, like we, when you're healed, you're going to attract a really good relationship for yourself. When you're unhealed, it's when all this weird rescue shit happens. It's, it's an unhealed state of mind. You know, people suffer because they need to suffer so that they could get through some of their karma and knock that off. You know, they got a list of karma to go, you know, they got a checklist. It's like, gotta knock that off that checklist. 
It's okay that people are suffering. You don't have to be a rescuer because sometimes what you believe is suffering to them is okay. Now, if you cause their suffering, yeah, by all means, fix it. You know, and if there's something you can do and there's like, you know, you could donate to the Red Cross, you could donate to different things. You can go down there and help a village build a damn well, but it's not your job to rescue emotionally everybody in your life, especially when you yourself secretly are wishing and hoping that someone will come around and rescue you. That's coming from a, an unhealed state of mind. You know, somebody told me once that um, if she could have a magic wand and wave it in the world and three things were solved in this world. Someone asked, asked us, what would it be? And, and she, she said, well, um, I want world peace and no more suffering. And I'm like, I would never ask for that because I know what suffering is. I don't like it. I don't like suffering myself and I don't like other people to suffer, especially people that I know and love, but I don't like to see strangers suffer either. I would like to see nobody suffer also, but to take away their suffering would also be, or, or their pain is also to take away all of their spiritual growth in the 3d. That's what, what's why we're here. That's why we chose this, this planet in this dimension. And it's why we didn't choose a different planet somewhere else where there's no suffering. There are several, but we, we came here for the experience of knowing what we're not so that we know what we are. We came here to experience a loss of love so that we will know love when we see it. We came here to experience sadness so that we know happiness when we see it. So don't try to rescue other people in their pain and in their suffering. When you don't even know spiritually what it's all about, you don't know why people pick this shit. You know, you don't know why they pick this for a reason. I looked at, and here we go. 33 minutes, 33 seconds in. So there's your number, angel number for the day, 33, or 333, or four threes in a row. But I on a, in there, I looked 3344, of course. <laughs> 11 seconds later, and 11 is the other one. So I just wanted to bring this up because I, I, I relieve you of your burden to believe well, okay. I relieve you of your burden from having to think about constantly the burdens of others because it's none of your damn business, how other people are suffering. And like I said, when it's presented to you in a way in which you can help, if you're in a position to help, then yes, please help. You know, but it's like, if you wanted to, for example, donate money to me for my show, cause y'all know um, I'm low on money and I'm trying my best and I'm trying to get my shit together to get a job and I don't have a steady income yet. I'm working on it little by little. I make steady progress, but you know, if you want to donate money to me, that's fine, but you don't need to say you're going to rescue me, come down to Ecuador and get me and my cat and gather up all my stuff and move me to your house and live with me for the rest of your life. That's what I mean. Sure. You know, give me 
you know, 99 cents a month or $10 a month or, you know, a one-time donation, you know, of a hundred dollars or something. That's awesome. And I appreciate it, you know, but I don't need to be rescued in a sense that I'm going to come and take you away from Ecuador, that, you know, scary place, you know, where it's all dirt floors and mud huts, <laughs> which is not at all what it is. But although I did walk down the, I walked next to the ocean. I saw a couple places. They're kind of like that. <laughs> but usually those, those places are just like hang out. Like it's, you know, we're going to hang out, keep our feet in the sand. It's like sand instead of dirt. It's just like a sand floor. And they're kind of like um, a place where people can sit and watch the beach. But, you know, like a lot of people, like my, my brother, my very own brother was like, I'm going to rescue you. Don't worry. I'm going to get rich. When I'm rich, I'm going to rescue you. You don't have to live in Ecuador anymore. I'm like, I freaking love this country. What do you mean? I don't have to live here. If I hated it here, I would have already left. <laughs> you know, I don't have to stay here, but I want to because I love it. It's actually a pretty cool country. You know, you don't need to uh, like assume things about other people's situation. Like, like, um, I told my friend, I said, look, everyone, especially Americans, we are told and we were meant, we're made to believe that we are in the greatest country in the world with the greatest people in the world. And we're better than everybody else. And then we feel guilty about that. So we have to help other countries. We have to help other people in other countries, you know, and, and, and all of this stuff is false. It's BS. It's like, you know what? Everyone's equal in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. And wherever we all chose to live at this moment is where our souls wanted us to be, to have the experiences that we're going to have. And I just told my friend, I go, okay, so I, I met children in Guatemala that didn't have shoes. And they were happy playing in the dirt. They wanted their feet to be dirty. And I watched, I watched them wash their feet. You know, it's not like they're dirty people constantly. It's just that during the day they get dirty and then they take a bath at night and they take a bath every night. There's like a routine, you know, it's like, it's not like constant dirty, you know, like I've, I've heard, I've heard people talk about that. Oh, those dirty people in that city or that country or that whatever. You know, and when they show, um, there was this little girl, it says, um, poor little Tina never had a teddy bear. And it was this little, uh, advertisement I saw. And it's, it was a little girl in Mexico and she had, um, a little teddy bear in her, in her arm, in her arms. Like someone bought her a teddy bear is her first teddy bear, you know? So what? She never had a fucking teddy bear. That's American culture. Not everyone in the world needs a teddy bear. You know, I'm sure everyone wants a teddy bear. Maybe once they find out what it existed, but little Tina didn't need a fucking teddy bear. She probably had a, a doll and it might've been made from corn husks, but maybe that's what she loved, you know? And so it's good. She has a teddy bear. I cut this out of the paper and I put it on my sister's, um, on my sister's package. Cause her name is Tina and for Christmas. And then I gave her a teddy bear. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and, my, and my sister's like, you're so crazy. I'm like, well, I was just like looking through a magazine and I saw this advertisement to give to little Tina so she could have more teddy bears, I guess. And um, since her name is Tina, I thought it was hilarious. I'd already bought you a teddy bear. I just saw this and I thought, oh, this is hilarious. 
It's like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, seriously, if I got a gift like that, I'd be laughing my ass off. But <laughs> I didn't think about the fact that Tina, my sister, is actually half Mexican, half Irish, but okay. <laughs> it made the joke a little deeper and, and funnier to her and to me, but anyway. <laughs> but um, I met kids in, in Guatemala with sticks and rocks, and they were happy to play with it. They were happy about that. You know, they didn't need My Little Pony and Barbies to be happy and have a well-adjusted childhood. You know, they didn't need to watch Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. Okay, that's what I grew up watching. <laughs> you know, like they didn't, you know, people don't have to have the same experience as you in order to have a good life or to be happy, right? And, and but a lot of people assume that other people don't have a good experience but the thing is everyone's experience is totally different because that's what they wanted. You know, if someone wanted to be born American, they would be. If someone wanted to be born Guatemalan, they would be. You know, but I will say that I, I met um, families that were closer and had a lot more love in a lot of the countries I've traveled to. I, I just saw the camaraderie. When I was in Bogota, everybody is treated like family no matter where you are no matter where you're from, who you are. I mean, if you're in a room with somebody and somebody opens up a beer, that's passed around to everybody. Everyone gets a sip. It's not my beer, go get your own. It's our beer, we love each other. We're all equal in the eyes of God, you know? I learned a lot of lessons from a lot of places I've been to, and that was, you know, Bogota was all about sharing is caring, Care Bears. <laughs> it was a cool place, you know. But anyway, um, same thing with food. Like, people would have a sandwich. You want to buy my sandwich? It's like, no, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> but other people like, yeah, I want to buy that. And every time I would bring home, like, a poem, like, to the hostel. I mean, I would go out and get food, and I'd always get an extra thing of fries because I put on the table so anyone who was hungry, they all got to eat because not everybody had food or money that day, you know? So I always shared when I had food, I always shared with everyone else too. And I learned that from my Bogota friends. You know, instead of, ha sucks to be you, sucker. You know, <laughs> as people in my family would have said. <laughs> I was raised by jerks anyway. <laughs> Not always, but I mean, my, my aunts and uncles, they always had that kind of a shitty attitude. I mean, I grew up when I was very little. I remember my aunt would, would finish her soda from McDonald's, open the window of her car and freaking just throw it out the window. I mean, the stuff that you saw in Mad Men, if you guys watched the TV show Mad Men, where they would just like litter I'm going to clean up the picnic. And she just threw everything on the grass and took off with like her blanket, you know, shook it off into the grass. Like what the hell? And that scene just really got to me. Like what the hell? Like that's really bad. And, uh, that's how it was. That's how my, my mom never littered, but I think my dad once or twice did and then laughed about it. And my aunts, they would laugh about that. And, and I'd have to tell them, give a hoot, don't pollute. Cause that was a thing that was a, and that's a hilarious TV commercial. If you guys want to go to YouTube and see, I like vintage commercials. Look up, um, give a hoot, don't pollute. 
and it's this owl, this cartoon owl talking about how we shouldn't pollute. It's one of the icons of my childhood. It's like sad that there had to be commercials about normal shit like that. It's normal to us now, but it wasn't normal back in the 60s and 70s. Anyway, um, whoever needed to hear this message today about, you know, it's not your job to rescue people or to feel sorry. It's not even your place to have that false guilt over someone else's life that they chose for themselves. That's another weird thing. The false guilt, like if you're unhealed, you're going to think that everybody else needs to be rescued. And the reality is you need to rescue yourself and you need to accept healing for yourself. And if you're not ready for a new relationship or a new friendship, or you're not ready for whatever, it's probably best that you heal yourself before moving forward and interacting with other human beings. You know, I mean, you can interact with people that just don't try to have a relationship until you're healed because it's not even fair to the next person who's going to get you in your unhealed state. You know, the false guilt thing. I mean, I saw it a lot when I was in Colombia, especially like I met men who were like, I'm going to go over to the, the whorehouse and I'm going to find myself a, a prostitute and, um, ask if she wants to be rescued and brought back to Canada. I met a guy who literally said that to me. I'm like, what an asshole. Like, you know, like it's, she chose to be a prostitute. This is not because she, I mean, it's, it's legal in South America. So, you know, she, and you know, this is like some random chick and his mind is going to be like, Oh, I can't wait for some white knight to rescue me from Canada. So I can leave all of my family, all of my friends, all of my culture and stick out like a sore thumb in a country who will treat me like shit because they're racist. Gee, I can't wait. Like, you know, it just, it's the audacity of Americans and North Americans, you know, Canadians too, not as much so, but I saw that a lot when I was here. Um, I've heard many different people say the same thing. Oh, I'm just going to rescue them. I'm bringing them back. It's like, it's, it's not a war, you know, it's just life is hard in all places, but people don't want to be rescued. Like, and it's really insulting to assume that everyone in South America needs to be rescued <laughs> because they don't, especially me. Damn it. No one tried to rescue me. No one come down and try to get me to go back to the States. I don't want to go back. I love it here. <laughs> it's that cool. It's that fun. <laughs> and having said that, I mean, if you got a job for me, yeah, I'll move to Hollywood. I'll move back to Hollywood and work on a set, you know, work on movies or whatever. I'm cool with that. I mean, I'm not saying I never will. I might end up in LA again, actually, but I might even end up in the Bay area again, actually just part time, part of the year to be with my kids. But but um, I don't need to be rescued from Ecuador because it's Ecuador. This is an awesome place. People are sweet to each other. I was walking down the little, like four or five blocks. I walked over to the ocean and as I was walking, I had conversations with like four people and two dogs. <laughs> you know, people are so sweet and so friendly and everybody wants to get to know you here and just like, Hey, what's your story? Where are you from? It's interesting to talk to you, you know, because it's interesting. You know, people are nice, feel very nice here in this country.
know, and prove I wasn't treated this, as nice as I am here, just by a few people, but not everybody. Here it's everybody is very sweet. And you're treated badly by only a couple out of every thousand. At least that's my experience. But um, anyway, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully this discussion helps you guys to see some things or work some things out in your mind. Like you don't need to rescue anybody and you don't need to be rescued. You just need to heal. You know, you need to heal yourself. You can't, you know, you keep yourself in an unhealed state, never seeing a therapist, never working on yourself, never dealing with your shadow side, and then expecting your next lover to pick up the pieces when you go ballistic or when you break into tears or you totally break down because they don't, they don't have the capacity. And I mean, unless you're going to be dating the psychiatrist, you probably don't really, um, need to put that shit on anybody else, you know? I know for me, I mean, I've been single for years, just trying to get everything completely worked out so that I'm ready when I'm in a relationship again. It's hard to admit that to yourself, but you know, when you admit to yourself that everybody goes to this shit, including the crises of faith, when things go wrong, you know, anyway, there's like a bunch of stuff in this little talk, but I hope it works anyway. Um, Let's get into the space weather news. Uh, right now, current solar wind speed is 358.9 kilometers per second. And an off-target CME might sideswipe Earth tomorrow on June 1st. It's um, expected that there will be minor G-class, G1-class geomagnetic storms possible tomorrow. And when the CME uh, sideswipes Earth's magnetic field, um, let's see. Yeah, it's all. So basically that's just going to happen. Um, it's coming from AR2824, which is a sunspot and it left, it was hurled into space in a storm cloud on the 28th of May. So there you go. Uh, we talked about a pollen Corona around the moon. Well, today there's one around the sun. It was a picture taken in Germany. Um, the sunsets are looking quite unusual. The pollen is creating, uh, these kind of auroras or halos. So it's kind of interesting. Sunspot AR 2827 has quadrupled in size since yesterday. So that's definitely be one to watch. We have a couple more uh, facing us, sunspots that is. So we're going to have to keep an eye on all of them. Oh boy, I don't know about you guys, but uh, here, um, ever since Mercury went retrograde, I have had a problem with the internet going out for a few minutes every hour. Yesterday went out for about an hour. I mean, this is the most annoying thing ever. It's almost as annoying as the kid who's constantly screaming for the past 20 minutes next door. <laughs> and this kid probably does need to be rescued, actually. <laughs> 
I don't know these people well enough for me to be like, what's wrong with the baby? Can I hold her? You know, and that would be just like creepy as fuck. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Hi, a stranger. Can I hold your baby? Uh, no, get out of here before I call the police. <laughs> I'm really good at babies. though. I mean, I, I wish I could just be like, Hey, let me have a conversation with you. You chose to come here. You chose to wet that diaper. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Live with that choice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hopefully. It sounds like she has a wet diaper, honestly. And she's just screeching because she can't stand it. I hope to God they fix her. Whatever she needs. If she stops screaming, they got her. <laughs> Man. Uh, they're probably trying to do it every night about this time. And I think with this baby, they're trying to do that thing where they just let the kid cry so they can self comfort, which in the long run is a good thing. But in the short run, it's like, uh, it's just heart wrenching and so sad. I did not do that with my kids, but they're independent anyway. They turned out. Okay. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I'm an old softy. I just couldn't. I had to hold them and love them and rock them. And they slept in my room, my room and their room, you know, like we, we had the same room for a long time. So, all right. Anyway, um, there's a really cool picture of noctilucent clouds over Canada. In case you want to see Harlan Thomas, uh, took a picture from his, uh, place over in Alberta, Canada. And it's electric blue. It is just so awesome. So you can see there's electric blue tendrils meandering horizontally across the top of this image in case you want to check it out. That's what it says. Spaceweather.com is the website to be at if you're interested in this stuff. All right. Ulu neutron counts are high. And the last uh, 48 hours has seen a change of going down by 0.1%. So that's always, it's got a relationship with the solar winds. So when we get solar winds, we have very little uh, cosmic radiation coming in because we're protected by the solar winds. And well, we get more cosmic radiation when we don't have any solar winds or CMEs on our, on its way to us. All right. So, um, here we go. A stream of solar winds that has flown out of the equatorial coronal hole could reach Earth on June 3rd, which is Thursday of this week. So be aware that this week on Thursday, we might have more ascension symptoms. I believe that it's a big part of that. The uh, All Sky Fireball Network from NASA's All Sky Cameras have recorded 15 fireballs today over the United States. And they were all sporadic. So, okay, let's go to Schumann uh, Resonance News. Now I've got to reload the page because the internet was out. So now it says this site can't be reached on every tab I have open. Oh my God. And it's just happening so, so freaking often since in literally the day we got Mercury retrograde is the day this started happening. It's so annoying. Okay. Um, not much to see here folks from, uh, disclosure news.it. It's just power 11. That's it coming out of Italy for the Schumann resonance. You know, just a couple points above what was normal for a long time. 
we always get uh, problems, not problems, I shouldn't call it a problem, but we always seem to get from all the other cities uh, really massive numbers compared to Italy. But we have had from Italy like 600 and I think 700 once and I believe 6,000 hertz frequency. So when it gets big, it gets really big in Italy. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) Okay, we're not going to talk about that anymore. It's not that kind of show. All right, now I've got to... The internet just freaking went out again, so I've got to pause this and wait another five or ten or however many minutes. So, I'll be right back. All right, so about an hour <laughs> of uh, turning my computer off and turning it back on, and finally it's able to get the internet again. Oh, I just looked, it's 5544. I mean, in the cat. Here's another country heard from. She's meowing at the white cat, who's a boy, who's coming around because she's screaming out the window. (laughs) Stop. I don't want anyone to think I'm hurting you. Am I hurting you? Tell the world. Mommy's not hurting me. I'm in heat. Oh, my good God. Well, there's there's your... uh, your public service announcement, guys, if you have a cat, get it fixed before it goes into heat. <laughs> She's been screaming like that or worse all freaking night, and I'm exhausted from it. And I put an, in a call to the local shelter who does free spays and neuters for cats and dogs. So I thought that was pretty cool. But... I have a Bing in my room right now. I'm going to tell you guys the uh, HeartMath Institute stuff, and I don't know who's in my room, but I feel it. I, I keep feeling, um, oh, there's a fire being in my room. I keep seeing out of the corner of my eye a fire, and then I turn and look, and there's nothing there, obviously. I have nothing. I did not turn anything on. Nothing's out of control, although my steak did cook really quick tonight. <laughs> Like quicker than it should have and it even charred and it was only like maybe two minutes. So the fire being I think is helping me uh, cook my food and boil my water faster than normal. I gotta make sure he's careful around me though. Alright, so we might have to talk to him uh, later. I don't know. I'm gonna have a conversation. I'll let you guys know how it goes tomorrow or later. Anyway, uh, heartmath.org. This is the other Shimon Resonances and the closest uh, information that we have to right now is from Saturday at the 2300 hours. So less than two days ago, about a day and a half ago, um, this is what happened. Uh, California was at 92 Hertz frequency. And this is again on the Schumann resonance scale, which is normally 7.83. So less than eight. So California was at 92. Um, Hofu Saudi Arabia was at 94 Hertz frequency. And Lithuania was at 126 hertz frequency. Alberta, Canada was at 208 hertz frequency. And Northland, New Zealand was at 79 hertz frequency. Last but not least is Holului, South Africa. Hopefully I'm saying that right. I probably am not. Anyway, they were at 102 
hertz frequency. So there you have it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, get this part loaded up before the internet goes out again because I'm just, it's like I feel like I have to do the show very early, probably every day <laughs> while we're having problems with this, uh, um, with a Mercury retrograde, <laughs> which affects your memory too, damn it. See, you just saw that or heard that. Anyway, um, I took the cat to the beach today real quick before we go. Uh, it was nice. Uh, the, the ocean looked gray at first, so I could tell that a storm was coming. And then all of a sudden the whole ocean just, it just lightened up and became blue. And I realized we are going to get rain tonight or maybe in the morning. And it's going to be just a very little bit of rain, but the ocean wasn't choppy or rough, which means it's going to be gentle rain. I learned how to read the ocean when I was a teenager just by observing and then seeing what happened with the weather because I read it in a book once that uh, people could do this and I thought well that's interesting so I'm gonna try it and so you learn by observing and I love the ocean Okay, so I got cut off there. Oops. <laughs> I wanted to say I love the ocean and I feel grateful. At least I got to go do that. It was the first of many days I plan to walk around this uh, little town and get to know it a bit more. Anyway, uh, after this quick little musical ditty, we're going to get into tonight's reading of the life and teaching of the masters of the Far East. Um, well, that's all I want to say. <laughs> I thought I'd just add this 30 seconds on. Just tack it on there at the end. <laughs> All right, guys, I'll be right back. guys so yeah I finished watching Wes Studi in his role of Geronimo for Memorial Day that's what I watched it was also the very last day to watch it on Netflix um, movie I'd meant to see for a while now what's really weird about it is I ended up kind of confused at the end because I hopped a timeline or several and the timeline I came from is they never found Geronimo they searched for him for like decades and he had a stronghold in the cliffs in Mexico and nobody ever got to him and he was never found and they just gave up <laughs> and in that movie apparently what the history is is that he eventually turned himself in and he ended up being relocated to Florida and he lived another 22 years. That's really, really weird. And there we have it. Another, um, 
uh, Mandela effect, I guess. I, it's just it's so confusing. Anyway, I also had to uh, wait for my cat to finish her diatribe against the cat male patriarchy (laughs) or whatever the hell that was about. I recorded a couple clips for you guys to see what I've been going through for the past several days, all weekend in fact. And did you guys catch at the end where she says, ow, mommy at the end? Yeah. I was not even anywhere near her, but see, it's those kinds of meows that make me really upset because it sounds like I'm doing something really bad to my cat. (laughs) She's only in heat and she's freaking out. She'll like go and call the boy to the yard, the boy cat that comes around. And when he comes around, then she starts screaming at him. It must be torture for him because he's like so confused. He wants to be with her, you know, probably because she's in heat and she yelled for him. But then when he gets here, she screams her freaking head off. Like, and it's so distressed. Like she's in so much distress. Oh my God. I really need to get her fixed, but I have to wait till this uh, week or whatever has passed because it's more dangerous for cats to get fixed while they're in the middle of heat, uh, apparently. So I just... (sighs) (laughs) Wanted to share the pain with y'all. I mean, she does. She says, Mommy, you guys heard it, right? I mean, go back and listen. If you didn't hear her say that at the end (laughs) uh, of the clip I named Owl Mommy. Oh my God, I love her so much, but this has been so strange. She keeps trying to get me to have sex with her. I'm like, dude, I draw the line like light years before bestiality, dude. So, (laughs) and then when my, my landlord came up, he helped me get a giant sparklets bottle sized bottle of water from, you know, the bottle man. Anyway, um, it's like super heavy and I can't carry it up these rickety stairs. And so he helped me carry it up and I guess, you know, she could smell his testosterone. And so she started freaking out at the landlord and like trying to climb through the wall to get to him through the screen door. (laughs) It's so weird. It's like, I don't know. He's like, why is she acting like this? I'm like, well, you know, apparently you have too much testosterone. So there you have it. Uh, my cat finds you sexy. <laughs> oh my God. It's so weird. I don't know, guys. Just the whole cat and heat thing is its quite hard to uh, bear. I hope she gets through this week quickly so we could just move on from this insanity. Um, Anyway, well, there you have it. Uh, We are reading The Life and Teaching of the Masters of the Far East. This is a book or series of books by Baird T. Spaulding. He wrote these notes in the field in 1894 and beyond and published them around, I think, 1915 or maybe it was 15 15 years before 1894. I'm not quite clear on that. But anyway, it's back in the day, a long 
long day ago. Um, he, uh, was one of like 12 people that decided to go to the Himalayan mountains to find the masters of light that they had heard rumors of who lived there. And well, they found them. And that is this story. We've been reading, um, this for a while now since season two and now we're in season four. So it tells you that we've been at this for a while. We're on volume three and we're continuing what we, uh, started in season three. And so anyway, we're up to chapter eight. So let's get into it. So chapter eight, when the speaker closed, we realized that the sun was well past the meridian. We sat there, not spellbound, but enraptured as we were actually enclosed in the vista that had been set before us. Where had the horizon gone? We had dropped it entirely. We were in and of infinity. The infinite was ours for the reaching out and acceptance of it. Do you wonder? Could we grasp the magnitude of who we were, where we were, and the importance of our place in the great plan of the cosmos? Not yet, not yet, dear friends, not yet. Would the world accept it? We did not know. We had looked into the long, long past. What the future portends, we know not until we have proved it by actually living in the present. What the past has been for millions of years, we have seen. We were aware that the sun was shining, but there was such a crystal brightness back of the sunlight that the sun seemed to darken. We collected our notes and moved toward the entrance of our sanctuary. As we projected the impulse to take the step, we were traveling on beams of light rays. Thus we entered the room, yet there were no limiting walls. The cosmos still enraptured and enthralled us. Could it be that we were an intricate part of this giganticity? This, the gigantic lies prostrate before the grandeur of the surroundings. We sat down and allowed the silence completely to immerse us. Not a word was spoken. We were not even conscious of the passing of time until someone announced that the table was spread. The meal was of keen momentary pleasure, but the keynote of our whole lives was the hours that had just passed. The sun had again reached the horizon and was fast disappearing. As we arose from the table, 
and walked out upon the ledge. What a vista lay before us. It was not sunset. It was eternity. Just a brief chapter being enacted for us. And here were our dear friends living with it chapter by chapter. Do you wonder that their lives are immortal? Do you wonder that we called them masters? Yet not a hint of this ever passed their lips. We asked, may we call you masters? Their answer was, sons, we are but yourselves. Oh, the beauty, the simplicity. Why can we not be as beautifully humble? As we were preparing to leave the ledge, instead of going down the stairs, as we anticipated, we walked to the brink. No sooner had we reached the edge than we were all in the garden of the lodge. Not one of our party was conscious of what had taken place. We were not cognizant of going through the air or of any movement at all. By this time, we were so accustomed to surprises that we simply accepted the situation. From the garden, we walked to the village and found that all was in readiness for an early start and that a number of the villagers had left to break trail through the snow that still blanketed the mountain pass to a depth of 10 or 12 feet. This pass was about 50 miles from the village at an elevation of 12,000 feet above sea level. A large portion of the country is rugged and very difficult to travel over. It is the custom to pack the trail through the snow the day previous to its use so that the packed snow will freeze, thus supporting men and animals. We arose long before dawn to find that every detail had been attended to. Jast and the Mooney were to accompany us. The entire village had assembled to bid us Godspeed. We all regretted the necessity of living, leaving this village where we had spent two winters. We had formed a deep attachment for every one of the people there and knew that this feeling was recipro reciprocated. Oh my gosh. I almost couldn't say that word. <laughs> so this, we knew this feeling was reciprocated reciprocated there again <laughs> they were simple kindly folks in order to show their appreciation many went with us five or six miles we exchanged our last farewells and were again on our way to India before we were actually to look down upon the southern slopes of the Himalayas months would have elapsed as we walked along with the main body of the caravan, we became conscious that we were walking without effort. 
At times, we seemed to see some point on the trail ahead, like a vision. The instant the point became definite, we were there, sometimes miles ahead of the main caravan. At the noon hour, we found fires going and a meal prepared by three of the villagers who had stopped for this purpose. After lunch, they returned to the village. We were told that the others had preceded us so that the trail through the snow over the summit would be easy to walk upon. Our camp was also ready for occupancy. All was prepared for us until we had crossed the pass and came down into the valley of Jiama Nuchu River. There we overtook the advance party of villagers. They had gone to all of this trouble in order that we might be assured safe conduct through the rugged mountainous country. They left us here as travel was easy through the valley. I am purposely introducing this brief description to show in a general way the hospitality of these simple, kindly people throughout the whole trip to Lhasa. Seldom did we meet the cruel, austere native of Tibet that so many travelers love to write about. We followed down the valley of Jiama Nuchu, then up a tributary of that stream to the great Tonjnur Young Pass, thence down the tributary of the Tsanpu or Brahmaputra to Lhasa where a welcome awaited us. When we came within sight of the city, we felt we were nearing a Taos Pueblo. One could imagine oneself standing before a Pueblo as we looked around on all sides. The palace of this great Dalai Lama, or overlord of all Tibet, stands out as the one great jewel of the whole city. While this city is the temporal head of Tibet, the deeper spiritual head is the living Buddha. He is supposed to rule spiritually through the mysterious hidden city or center called Shambhala, the celestial. To visit the sacred place was one of our fondest hopes. It is supposed to be buried deep under the sands of the Gobi. We entered the city accompanied by our escort and were conducted to our lodgings where our comfort had been provided for. A great crowd stood around outside for hours to get a look at us as white people had seldom visited the city. We were invited to go to the monastery the next morning at 10 and were told that we must make our every wish known, as all would deem it a special pleasure to serve us. We had an escort wherever we went, and a guard was stationed at our door to keep out the curious as the inhabitants of Lhasa are accustomed to walk into each other's homes unannounced. 
We were the only diversion in their lives and could not blame them for their expressions of curiosity. If one of us went out alone, they would crowd around with the evident intention of finding out whether or not we were real. And sometimes this inspection proved rather disconcerting for the recipient of the inspection. The next morning we were up early, completely refreshed and prepared to go to the monastery to meet the high priest who had preceded us only two days. As we left the city with our guard, it looked as if all of the inhabitants had turned out to do us honor. As we approached the monastery, the high priest came out to meet us and to our surprise. Emil and his mother were with him. It was a wonderful meeting. The priest seemed like a boy again, saying that he had wanted to see Emil or some one of our friends. He felt that he had failed in many things and wanted to talk to them in order to get a more complete understanding. He also gave us our first news of the little home that had been erected in the village where he had charge. We found him speaking English fluently and very anxious to learn. We went to the La Messerie where we were all made comfortable. I have no idea what that means. Lama Suri? L-A-M-A-S-A-R-Y. Is it kind of like a nunnery, but for llamas? Maybe? Not for the animal llamas, but the Tibetan priests called llamas, I guess. Turning to Emil's mother, the priest said, Power is the demonstration of the active principle of God, my father. It is always a constructive activity. There is never too much or too little of God's perfect activity and manifestation. And God never fails, is never inactive. God principle is always working constructively. I command that I do stand forth and that I am in perfect harmony with the act of God principle and that alone. Here, Emil's mother took up the thought. You can go on still further and say just as definitely, I pour this divine flame through you, my physical body, and you are transmuted into that pure substance which only God principle sees. Now it becomes necessary for you to accept and expand your consciousness to the God consciousness and you yourself revel in God. You do actually become God, one with the most high. Man belongs in this high estate. Here man is one with the essence of all things. He is truly God. Here no division can exist. Do you not see that man himself can become God or demon? 
Can you not see that man's true vibratory sphere is the whole vibratory sphere of God if he lives in that sphere? This is the only scientific sphere, the only place for man, and the only place where he can bring forth God and be one with God. Such a man is certainly more than the human concept of man. Do you not see then that you belong to and are of God's kingdom and not that of any demon who is created by man's own imaging faculty? Then is it not a perfectly scientific and logical fact that man is and can be God or that he may image himself out of the God kingdom and therefore create for himself a demoniacal That was a very weird word. It's demon and maniacal all rolled into one word. I think she made this up. Demoniacal. Demoniacal. It's like a demon monocle. (laughs) You wear it over one eye and all you can see is demons. (laughs) Demon monocle. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. So man can create for himself a demoniacal realm which may seem real to him I leave you to be the judge okay really quick uh, comment on that um demons are real because they are fallen angels that chose out of hubris and pride and ego to um fall to earth and create their own materialistic realm so that they could be better than humans and live outside of God's laws that state that all archangels must uh, follow God and, um, and serve God and also serve man as an extension of God. (laughs) So I don't know, being an archangel incarnate myself, I know that demons are real, but I think what she is saying here, and I don't mean to second guess her because you know, who the hell knows for real, But what I see her saying is um, a lot of times men will create a fake attribution for making bad choices, poor choices. So like the devil made me do it. Oh, did I eat that extra chocolate cake? Ha, the devil made me do it. Oh, well. Did I mean to kill that guy? No, the devil made me do it. I mean, you know, I, you know from cake to killing, you know, people blame everything in the middle on, you know, well, it was a demon and it might've been demon tempting them, but demons don't make you do anything. You choose to do whatever the hell you want. You know, if you choose to listen to demons, then, well, that's what you get. (laughs) Listen to God. You're never going to, you know, do anything. But, um, but humans do create demons where demons don't exist. You know, like my mom was always like, my inhaler didn't work. It must've been the devil. Do you think Satan just sits around and like makes sure that people's asthma inhalers don't work? Like, come on, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Like like he doesn't have better things to do. He's already punishing evil people. You know, (laughs) he's not making asthma inhalers of good people not work. Like, so I think that's what she means. But anyway, it's just, you know, you know, food in the fridge went bad. Must have been the devil. Like, come on, you know, it must have also been science and you waited two extra days to eat it. Like, come on. 
the devil's not busy spoiling food in your fridge. Like he does have better shit to do. I'm just saying, anyway, let's get back to the book. But I, I think that's what she's trying to say because demons are real and angels are real, but they don't want to believe in anything negative because they're living from that God self. And once you live from that God self, the demons can't even bug you. So it just seems unreal anyway. But from a higher, higher, higher perspective, demons are of God because everything is of God because nothing can exist that did not originally originate from God. So therefore everything is holy, even if it seems evil to you. So, okay. All right. I think I figured it out anyway. So it's not a separate demon realm away from God. All right. Now I got it. Hopefully you guys got that too. Nothing can exist outside of God, period. Demons do exist, but they don't exist outside of the kingdom of God. All right. Yeah, I figured that out. <laughs> Glad I could work that out uh, right there in, in front of you guys like that. Okay. <laughs> All right. She continues. <clears throat> this is the only issue upon which humanity stands or falls. There is but one choice, one purpose, one truth, one science, and this makes you free. You become God or servants as you choose. Stop for a moment and just think of the allness of God or primal cause with no beginning or end, with universal scope and surround yourself in this. As you become faithful and worship this, and this alone, one God, one almighty presence, you will find that the vibrations of your body will change <clears throat> from the human to the God or primal vibration. As you think, live, move, and become one with this vibration, you do worship and what you worship, you idealize, you become, it is thus with and for all humanity. There is but one God, one Christ, one union, one man, one general household, all brothers and sisters, all one. God cannot be brought forth as a person or a personal image, but as an all inclusive universality interpenetrating all things. The moment you personalize, you idolize. Then you have the empty idol. You have lost the ideal. This ideal is not a dead savior or a dead God to make God alive and vital to you. You must think and know that you are God. This is more living and vital to you than anything. This is the divine science of your being. Then you, the Christ, your redeemer becomes alive and one with you. You are that very thing. This becomes the motivating force of your whole life. You are redeeming yourself, the true you. You are one with God, truly God, by 
reverencing, loving, and worshiping this. It becomes ideal to you. God right within and active. Here the talk drifted to the possibility of going to Shambhala. (laughs) The priest asked whether it would be possible for him to go. He was told that if he could lay aside the body and reassemble it again, he could go without difficulty and that the party would go that evening. (laughs) Oh my God. Can you, do you think you can make it? Well, you know, if I'm able to, you know, lay my body aside and, you know, disassemble and then reassemble the whole thing again, sure, I'll be able to go. I mean, God, that's an excuse and a half. I mean, to not go somewhere. <laughs> if I'm not able to do that, then no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can just disassemble my my whole body and reassemble it. Sure. Okay. <laughs> what? I'm going to read that sentence again because that sounds completely insane. But we know from experience, we're on book three. This is how these guys do. They just disassemble their body, let it aside, and then move forward and then brand new body. Boom. I mean, this is like Star Trek, but in real life and without actual physical instruments to do so. <laughs> and they go in a beam of light too. Oh, Gene Ronberry, this guy was revolutionary. Okay. <clears throat> the priest asked whether it would be possible for him to go. He was told that if he could lay aside the body and reassemble it again, he could go without difficulty and that the party would go that evening. (laughs) It was arranged that they should meet at our lodge early in the evening and that our chief should go with them. The party assembled. See, now I hear the word assemble and I think a whole nother level there. Oh, oh, wow. And I, and simultaneously I'm hearing the beaming sound from Star Trek to uh, the original. I, I hear it. <laughs> <clears throat> the party assembled shortly after our return. After a short talk, they left by the door and we did not see them again for a number of days. During this time, we were occupied in making measured drawings in the monastery. One day we were rummaging in one of the basements of the old Lamasery. Lamasery. Is it Lamasery or Lamasery? Lamasery. Lamasery. I don't know. Anyway, they're in the basement of it. After After moving considerable debris... We came upon an old marble tablet. <gasps> Ooh. Oh my God. Okay. Quick guess. What do you guys think that is? An old marble tablet. I'm freaking out inside right now, thinking of what it might be. Okay. Just. This we had carried out of doors and cleaned. When the cleansing was finished, the beauty of the carving and the exactness of the execution of detail surprised everyone. It even surprised the llamas themselves. 
okay, I'm like trying to skip ahead really quick in my I'm like, what, 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 what is it? <laughs> I mean, I half expect them to say it's the tablet of Moses himself. I'm like freaking out inside, right? Like, and it, and it simultaneously dawned on me that the tablets of Moses have to be somewhere. Has anyone ever found them? And oh my God, can you imagine the energy and the power in those tablet? Like if you touched those, I'm like freaking out right now a little bit inside. I'm just, I'm contemplating this and I haven't ever thought of this before. Anyway, just moving right along. And old Lama told us that when he was a very young boy, he became a Chila of one of the grand Lamas. Um, by the way, Chila means student in Hindi. I think it's Hindi. So Chila or Chela is C-H-E-L-A. It means student. So he became a Chila of one of the grand Lamas who was in charge of the very old Lamasuri. <laughs> At the time, this tablet reposed in a niche in the wall and that his master insisted they visit this tablet the first Monday in each month at the hour of nine in the morning. <sighs> more and more mysterious. He told us that as soon as they arrived at the niche where the tablet was placed and stood quiet for three or four minutes, a voice would sing the history of this tablet and the great things that the carvings portrayed. Oh my God. A voice would sing the history of the tablet and the great things that the carvings portrayed. What, what this book always surprises me. This song claimed that the tablet was one of two that were carved to commemorate a great white civilization that had existed and flourished on a large portion of what is known as the American continent hundreds of thousands of years ago. Oh, oh, wow. Do you guys remember the, um, the, the skeleton or the skull that they found in Florida and the native people were saying, that's our people. That's our guy. You guys can't, you have no right to this land until further investigation because it's an Indian burial ground. And somebody came along that knows how to recreate a face from clay over bone. And when they finished, it was the image of someone that looked I kid you not exactly like Jean-Luc Picard or rather the actor who played him. He looked like a Frenchman, a white Frenchman. So now I'm wondering how old that skeleton is that they found. And now we get back to the book. Just more questions. Oh, wow. I love this story. It's just like a breath of fresh air. Every single time I read another chapter. The duplicate or sister tablet, the song claimed, was in existence and could be found in the motherland of its creation, thus proving that such a land did exist. 
We took the data as interpreted by the song. After a lapse of several years, we were working in the district described and found the twin or mate tablet embedded in a great wall at the location claimed in the song. What? I, wow. The walls proved to have been the walls of an old temple in Central America, now in ruins. Thus it is seen how, through legend and song, direct truths are brought to light. The interest we showed in the tablet and the legend repeated in the song gave us access to other records and data that were of invaluable assistance in our research work later. This incident was also the contributing factor that opened the doors to records that are in the palace of the Dalai Lama, the living Buddha, as well as those in the monastery, which have been guarded for hundreds of centuries. Wow, a century is a hundred years, so hundreds of centuries. Wow. Many of these records and their importance were wholly unknown to those that guarded them. It was through legend and song that we were attracted to them. Although with the exception of these tablets, they proved to be copies. Oh, weird. Wow. Carved marble copies of marble tablets. And it's definitely written in stone. <laughs> Ooh. These copies were carefully done and they pointed the way to the originals later on. So they did find the originals. Okay. Oh my God. We were so completely engrossed in this work that we were unaware our friends and chief had extended their stay. This we thought very little of as unforeseen conditions can arise in this remote country to cause delays beyond our control. During this time, the inhabitants had, in a measure, become accustomed to us and we had adjusted ourselves to their ways and means. Curiosity had given way to friendliness on both sides and we were going about freely. The morning on the twelfth day, as we were preparing to go to the monastery, we heard a commotion outside, and stepping out to investigate, we found that our friends had returned. Their trip had been successful, and such a place as Shambhala did exist. We were told that much of the beauty and grandeur of its art and culture were still preserved in its original beauty and that its magnificence was beyond comparison. That's the end. That's the end of chapter eight. Okay, so, all right, I'm going to look real quick. See how long this next chapter is. I think it's going to be too long for the rest of uh, the 
19 minutes we've got. Wait a minute. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. This is a lot to contemplate, honestly. All right, guys, I um, need to stop at this point because it took me 35 minutes to go through three pages, which means I'm going about 10 minutes a page, and it's four pages, so that's going to be 40 minutes for next time. So, um, I mean, it's like dense. It's a lot of words on this page. It's all crammed together. So, okay, um... Yeah, we're going to stop. We will come back to chapter nine for next week on Monday. Then we're going to talk more about the Dalai Lama. That's pretty cool. It's not the current Dalai Lama because he, although it could be, well, no, because 1894, 1994, it's 100 years. No, it's two Dalai Lamas, maybe three ago, that they're talking about. All right, so there we have it. It's very, very interesting. Um, I found several um, posts on Instagram about the current ascension symptoms and... I may or may not read it tomorrow. Some of these are kind of crazy sounding. It sounds like it's just someone's... It's like some like one of them, the person's channeling. But it sounds like um, a bunch of gobbledygook to me. I don't totally... You know, like we have to unhook and unravel the energy of the fourth chakra to the first. To the From the timelines of the... It just doesn't make any sense to me. It just... I don't know. <laughs> I may or may not read it to you guys and let you decide for yourselves, but um, I might not want to even promote it because it doesn't seem totally coherent or, you know, like she's trying to explain it, but it's not, it it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But um, another person, uh, I think it was Naga Healing Guidance and then Ace of Moon, I don't know if I got one of her posts or not. And then there's like two others that say Ascension symptoms that they're channeling. Um, I'm when I tell you guys Ascension symptoms from my perspective, it's things I'm actually going through. Um, not, um, what I'm channeling for the collective, but not feeling it myself. Right. If I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to say, Oh yeah. You know, everybody's walking with the limp on the right side. Oh, but I'm not, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I mean, okay, yeah, I am. I'm always walking with the limp on the right side. But that's only because um, my foot has been hobbled. (laughs) I mean, I I broke my ankle and I have four metal rods in it. I mean, it's not like somebody hobbled me on purpose, although maybe they did. I don't know. We'll blame the devil. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I feel like he has anything better to do than to go around hobbling archangels incarnate. Anyway. Anyway, I'm, oh, I looked, it's 44, 55, there you go, two more uh, numbers for you guys, anyway, um, I heard the word hobble on 
on the TV show Pose the other day, and I don't know, it's something the way the, it's something about the way the person said hobble. It was not going to be a permanent hobbling. <laughs> they wanted to hobble somebody. They kept saying the word hobble. <laughs> They're trying to hobble a dancer's foot with a hammer. Oh my God, I don't want to be a spoiler. So I'm not going to tell you who or why or what's going on, but it was so funny. Like, oh my God, that's one of my favorite shows. I just finally finished watching the second season, um, last week. So anyway, um, so I have noticed, uh, problems with my eyesight. And so the next thing I'm about to tell you is going to sound incredible or I mean, not credible because I just said I'm having problems with my eyesight, but There are certain people in our society that are actors that I have taken special notice of their face and so memorized their face because I have face amnesia and normally I don't recognize people unless I make it a point to recognize people. So these um, specific actors, I will in general recognized and I see them. Oh yeah, that's so-and-so that's so-and-so. And Matt Damon is one of those faces that you just, it's undeniable. You know, it's Matt Damon. And in every single timeline, Matt Damon looks like Matt Damon. He's still got that blonde hair and those blue eyes and his nose is very um, much a Matt Damon nose, right? You know, his chin and his nose match and his face is chiseled and he's, he looks the way he looks. Well, there are other actors I have noticed that I don't recognize at all. Like, who the hell is that? I see their faces. Like, I'll look, like I'll, I'll look up somebody. I'll have curious, um, a curious thought about someone, and I'll look them up, and it's like that's not the face of the person I remember, the woman or the man that I remember. That's freaking weird. And it it dawned on me that from timeline to timeline, we look different sometimes. And have you noticed how much your face is changing as you are going up in experience and vibration? You are hopping timelines to get to that 2% better timeline. And so you're probably 2% better looking every time. But I mean, you still look like you, but you're a little bit different. Have you looked in the mirror and you're like, damn, something, I I look a little different. I look weird. I don't at all look like how I used to. Now, if you go to your uh, pictures, you're going to find that you look the same as you do in the pictures. Of course you do, because those are the pictures from this timeline. But do you have a memory of looking different? And it's from another timeline. And if you have a memory specifically of somebody looking different, like you have in their mind certain images or certain uh, things that they've done with their face, you know, like uh, like a very uh, good example of this would be like, for example, Jim Carrey. You know, you, you see him in many different movies. He does a lot of funny things with his face and he makes his face uh, morph and shape, shaped differently you know, in certain scenes of certain movies to be funnier, right? He makes himself look funnier on purpose because he's freaking hilarious. 
But imagine like looking him up and you're like, well, that's not Jim Carrey. What the hell? I mean, I know now he looks different than he used to be, but he looks the same in all the timelines I came from. But there are certain actors that I have noticed look completely different. Like I would never in a million years recognize them if they were in a movie looking like that. That's not who I remember. I think Mariska Hargitay, she might be one of them that she does not look like the Mariska Hargitay that I remember from the other timelines. She looks different. Kathy Bates looks the same. I mean, you know, I, I'm thinking just off the top of my head, actors that I haven't seen in a long, long time. And then I go back and see them like Michael Douglas has never changed, but there are three or four people. Um, Will Smith looks a little bit different than how I remember. And I don't mean because now he's gained weight and he's on this campaign to lose weight and he's challenging other men to lose their pandemic weight. And I don't mean like that. He's still pretty hot having a little dad bod, (laughs) did dad bod belly, but that's not what I mean. But he looks a little bit different, just a little bit. And I don't know if you guys are noticing this or not, but I wanted to bring it up just because I found it very strange and fascinating. And it's almost like, um, it's almost like a Mandela effect, but you can't really it's like there's something slightly askew, like maybe their ears are shaped different or their eyes are closer together or farther apart or bigger or smaller than you remember. Like there is always something, but it's so slight that your brain is perceiving it, but no one else seems to notice. It's so freaking weird. But also this story, like with the Apaches, like I, the Chiricahua Apaches, I don't, remember the story like that at all. I don't, I was taught by a native American who grew up on a reservation in California and she made it her life's work and journey to study all of the tribes. And we read, uh, bury my heart at wounded knee by D Brown, who is a famous female historian who told the story of women and told the story of native Americans that the male historians didn't give a shit. The white male historians did not give a shit to, uh, tell the story of, right. Or not tell the story correctly. Right. So, um, it was a class or a couple classes I took left a very deep impression on me. And Geronimo was one of those because, because I learned a lot of native ways from his great, great grandson. He said, that's my great, great grandfather. Now that's also weird because when you go to the story, you know, when you read, when you watch the TV or in the movie Geronimo, he had two daughters that were killed by the Mexican authorities along with his wife. But then he lived another 22 years. So, you know, uh, you know, maybe he had a son then, or maybe he had a son out of wedlock, (laughs) but my friend looked identical to Geronimo. He was Chiricahua Apache. He's a dear friend of mine. Uh, Red Bear is his native name, but, uh, you know, or, or Running Bear. Some of his friends called him Running Bear. But, um, but yeah, and, and, but then he had a, he had a native name too. Santos was his name you know, uh, outside of like, he had a, a Mexican name too, because you know, the Chiricahua Apache lived in Arizona and part of Mexico. 
So he had a, a, a Mexican, you know, Spanish name. Anyway, just the whole thing is very strange. You know, I just, it's like, you know, you remember something because it was very important and precious to you. And you think you know everything about it that you, you know, you remember at least what you learned and then to go back and it's like the whole story changed. It's so that's another Mandela effect. It's very, very odd. So anyway, I wanted to bring it up because it's weird. I still have a fire spirit in my kitchen. I need to have a conversation with him as soon as I um, publish this for you guys. And then I'll let you guys know tomorrow if anything interesting comes up out of this conversation. I have fire as my one of my magical elements. I have fire magic and I want to learn how to throw fireballs. Oh, maybe he could teach me how to throw fireballs into the ocean. Woo! <laughs> and if I learn how to do that, that will be fun. Okay. <laughs> Throwing fireballs over a body of water is always helpful so that nothing gets caught on fire, basically. I do have a friend who did contact me today who actually can throw fireballs and she could light candles from two rooms away. And her husband is a witness to this who work and he works for the Canadian government. So he's a completely, you know, sane person, <laughs> not saying she's insane. It's just that, you know, we have a sane, rational person who doesn't believe in, well, he believes in magic cause he's seen it, but he doesn't do magic. He's not of eccentric, uh, magical spiritual nature. Like I am. And my friend is, <laughs> he's just like our, you know, logical backup person, you know, anyway. Um, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to go, but, um, I don't know. Have you guys noticed that? Write to me at mermaid girl, eight, eight, eight on Instagram. If you've seen any, if you've noticed like, yeah, it's weird. I looked at a picture of Sinbad and he doesn't look anything like the guy I remember him to be. It's weird or whoever. You know, that means you come from a different timeline. I just want to know if that's happened to you guys too, or am I actually losing my mind? Anyway, and, and it goes along with the, it, it, it doesn't really, but it kind of does go along with the thing that my eyesight seems to be blurry and weird and in and out. But other people have mentioned this as ascension symptoms. So if you're having eyesight issues, I mean, I started taking vitamin A. <laughs> and I had my, uh, fermented greens today. I had a greens drink. I'm just trying to take care of my body and my, and myself, but in my eyesight, but I'm looking at people like, Oh, I'm curious about so-and-so. And it's like, wait a minute. That's not at all. Who I remember them to be. That's just very odd. You know, and even looking back in their young pictures from the seventies or the nineties or the eighties. And it's like, that's not what they looked like. What the hell? That's not at all what, who I thought they were. It's just very weird. Anyway, I thought I'd bring that up. See uh, if you guys get in contact with me. <laughs> if you've also experienced this, because I want to know, you know. I'm like, wait a minute, that's J-Lo? <laughs> totally different person than I remember. You know, just let me know. Uh, you know, J-Lo, I think, is one of them one of those people that I, I, in my mind, she looks like one, she looks one way. And I remember her being this specific way. And then now I look at her and her face is completely different. She's still a beautiful woman, but not at all what I remember, but I have face amnesia. So maybe it's just me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, which reminds me someone contacted me who's famous. I guess he's a, 
a writer for um, Motley Crue. And he told me, thank you for being a good fan of mine. I'm like, who the hell are you? I've never heard of you. (laughs) Not to be rude, but I don't know who the hell you are. Obviously, it was a scammer trying to get me to... He's like, what's your address? I'm like, actually, I live in a house without an address. Um, There's not a postal service. Why would we have addresses? (laughs) I literally live in a house without address, guys. That's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother day. God bless Ecuador. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I love you guys. I love each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for the eight of you who wrote me over the weekend. I love you guys so much. And Janine Wildcat, a special shout out to her. She has this beautiful baby. Let's just send love and light to her and her family um, for their, for continued protection of her beautiful baby and her beautiful native art and, um, her whole family. She lives with her twin flame and she's an incredible inspiration to me. And I wanted to shout out because her baby's so cute. And I saw into his eyes and I saw his picture. He's an archangel incarnate. Oh God, he's so cute. Anyway, so it's, you know, extra love and care for him. Anyway, um, there you go. Uh, all right, I'm going to get this out by 10 o'clock California time. Well, that's good. That's good. It's it's midnight here. My deadline's always midnight California time, so there you go. Anyway, uh, well, that's it, guys. I will be back tomorrow with all the unique and original programming, just like always. But until then, I'm signing off with peace and joy and the high vibes of the holy fifth dimension. Until next time, guys, peace. Metaphysical Soul Speak is run on sponsors and listener support. This means listeners like you. If you are so inclined to support my efforts and my little podcast, please visit me at anchor.fm forward slash metaphysical and pledge an amount of your choosing today. Thank you.